right, grab your Bible. Go with me to Genesis chapter number 12. We should finish that up. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. I will get there. So if the weather holds, we are planning to play some basketball on Saturday, about 2 o'clock, if anybody wants to come up to the church and play some basketball. Love to have you. Genesis chapter 12. The story is told of a young boy who came home from practice all decked out in his baseball outfit. Cheerfully, his mom asked him, well, how did Little League go today? The little boy growled, terrible. I struck out three times. Trying to console her son, his mom said, well, that's okay. It's all a part of the game, honey. But with exasperation, the little boy said, mom... It's T-ball. Come on. Come on. <laughs> so just so you know, you know what the uh, message title is? It's a failure of faith. So I kind of hope the joke would fail because it helps show that no matter how hard you try, failure is bound to come. Like how I... Twisted that around real quick. All right. <laughs> All of us experience failure. All of us make mistakes. All of us commit sin. Sometimes, even the most faithful of us fall. The good and the godly are still imperfect. That applies to every one of us. The strong can most certainly become weak, and our heroes can falter. There are at least two good reasons we should avoid putting people on a pedestal. Man, I pray that we never get to this. There are some churches um, where it's almost like the preacher is a demigod, um, where he is so popular that he's almost worshipped for his popularity's sake, um, where he um, can do no wrong in a lot of people's eyes. Friend, if you ever look at me like that, just get ready to be disappointed. Um, thank you. <laughs> Man, y'all are just wound up tonight. Well, <laughs> um, there's two reasons why we shouldn't do this. Um, one, because disillusionment will set in, and you know it can lead you away from church. I pray and I hope. Um, that I am never the reason why you are a member of our church. Um, because, I mean, God could do anything at any time where that's not the case. Um, but then secondly, pedestals will come with expectations that no human can meet. It's impossible for anybody to live up to those types of standards. Um, because this just inevitable that they're going to fall. I mean, somebody has even said, don't meet your heroes, right? Because if you do... They're going to let you down. Um, I had an opportunity once to meet Isaiah Thomas um, when I was a boy. I mean, I loved the Pistons, loved Isaiah Thomas, and um, I got to meet him. And he was nice enough, signed everybody's. Um, and, you know, I told him my name, said as Andrew. And about three years later, I got to meet him again, and I was crushed that he didn't remember me. <laughs> right? Um, 
but just imagine how many people have met their heroes and it's gone worse. I mean, you hear stories all the time about people meeting celebrities that they really like, and then they meet them, and the celebrity, and at least in the moment, is a jerk, um, doesn't have time for them. And the truth of the matter is, all of us in certain moments can be jerks. All of us in certain moments can be mean or rude or short with people. And that includes spiritual leaders. Um, and one of the people that we're going to look at, we have very high views of. Obviously, we've been studying him now for the last few weeks. His name is Abram. Let's see about his failure of faith. Look at verse number 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt. Just again, I want to point something out really small. Um, but when you read especially the Old Testament, you'll find that um, the direction matters. And here, it tells us that Abram went down. Most of the time when you read your Bible and it's talking about Jerusalem, people went up to Jerusalem. Now, some of that's because, and John can tell us, it's uphill. Yeah. Um, but in many regards, it's showing us the spiritual walk of the person. So he went down into Egypt. It says to short, sojourn there, or really to live there for a while. For the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians behold the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen. He had asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to me to wife? Now, therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. What a story. Goodness gracious. If anything, it sounds like it should be on Jerry Springer, <laughs> right? Um, well, let's get into it. Number one, um, the first thing that you need to write down is it's always a downward path. In other words, a failure of faith. It's always a downward path. Um, when a believer leaves Canaan, in the Bible, that's a picture of victory, a picture of blessing. To go to Egypt, which in the Bible is always a picture of the world, it always leads him down. When Jonah didn't want to follow Jesus, it says he went down to Tarshish. 
Um, Amos described it as a low place as well in Amos chapter 2. And here we watch Abram face his first challenge. They've gotten settled in Canaan. And at least according to scripture, this is the first thing that challenges him when a severe famine sweeps into the area. The land of Canaan where Abraham was living had a moderate climate, much like, um, much like that of parts of mid to northern California. In good years, when there was rain, the land produced an abundant harvest, more than really even millions of people would need. But in drought years, the land would become quickly parched and dry, and the crops would wither and fade. For those like Abraham, whose livelihood was dependent on their, on their flocks, um, pasturing fields and things like this, the dry years were very, very hard. When food became scarce in Canaan, Abraham became fearful. And even though God had called him to the land of Canaan, he felt the need to leave and go to Egypt. But the problem, the Bible doesn't tell us whether Abraham even asked God if he could go. And really, based on how things played out in Egypt, it appears that Abraham wasn't following God by faith. He was following his own thoughts and mind. Until the famine struck, we see, and we noted it last week, when the famine struck, Abraham was noted for everywhere they stopped building an altar and praying. But in this entire 11 verses that we just read, not one time do you see him stopping to pray or him building an altar. Not one time do you see him um, uh, going to God and asking for permission. What do we see? We see him making his own plans. We see him conniving out a scheme. But we don't see him getting on his knees and praying. Rather than seeking God's lead, Abraham makes a beeline for where some caravan merchants had probably said, hey, it's bad here, but if you go to Egypt, their crops are fine. For Abraham, Canaan and Egypt were two real places in the real world. But for us, these two places have theological and symbolic implications. Here's what F.B. Meyer writes. He says, in the figurative language of scripture, Egypt stands for an alliance with the world. Abraham acted simply on his own judgment. He looked at his difficulties and became paralyzed by fear. He grasped at the first means of deliverance that suggested itself, much as a drowning man will catch at a straw. Just consider, how many times has God called on us to simply wait? And in our impatience, we try to fix the problem all on our own. This is the exact picture of what Abraham does the first time he is challenged. Just consider how much he has been blessed along the way, where he has gotten. And now he comes to a point where he just has to act on his own. In the Bible, Egypt is always a picture of the world. It was where the children of Israel were held in bondage for 400 years under Pharaoh's reign. Even after they were delivered by the power of God, Israel still longed for what they had left behind in Egypt. Can you consider the people, and we talked about it a little bit on Sunday, could you consider complaining to God after you were set free from slavery? Literally looking up to heaven and saying, I wish I was dead 
or a slave instead of having to worry about my next meal, even though God literally brought in delivery KFC every day. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking I mean, the quail would land just for them to eat them. It's amazing. Um, he brought manna down every morning in the dew. Um, it's unbelievable, and yet they still complain. There's this innate draw. You know what that shows me? There's this innate draw within us to what the world has always offered. There's this innate draw. There's, the devil lies to us, our flesh lies to us, that there's some safety and security in what the old way has. And when we get there, we find that we're worse off than whenever we started before. So consider a couple things. It led him down from the land of promise. He left the place God promised him. Just like that. How sad is that? How sad is that? I mean, they worked and worked. I mean, do you remember how far it was from where he was staying to Canaan? Someone help me. 500 miles. They worked so hard to get there. God had literally showed up to tell him, this is your land of promise. And the first moment there's trouble, he leaves. Hey, church, we can learn something. There's a lot of people that when the first hint of problems start happening in church, they hit the road. God has brought you here for a purpose. Don't allow the devil or your own flesh. Now, there's times when we have to leave. I understand that. God understands that as well. Um, but don't allow a bad day to ruin what God has been doing on the inside. He left the land of promise. Number two, he led him down from the land of preparation. The famine in Canaan, think about this. Nowhere in Scripture does it say it was a punishment for sin. Nowhere in Scripture is there even a hint of it. But rather, it was a test of his faith. He left God's best and ran away from God's test. Real faith is always going to be tested. Your faith will be tested. Often. And here's the thing. If you're not going through it today, there's a good chance before the year's out, you'll go through a few. You're going to go through a test. The great test, it's a submit to the test. The great test of our faith is to submit to the test and trust God instead of running away. Listen, I know sometimes we feel like we're not doing much when we just show up. But hear me, there is something to say to a person that just continues to be faithful to show up, even when they don't feel like it. I'm, I'm going to be there, Lord. I know that's where you want me. I'm going to continue to go. I'm going to continue to be there. I'm going to continue to show up. I'm going to be faithful even when it doesn't feel like I should. I'm going to be faithful. He also, uh, it led him down from the land of provision. God had promised to bless Abram in Canaan. Nowhere else. Listen, it was an unconditional promise for his people and their seed. God was going to do it all. But the land had specific boundaries. And his people were going to be blessed in that 
land. So it led him. Number two, it's always a dishonest path. Man alive. When we start disobeying God, you know what happens? We get used to it. And we continue it. I don't know about you, if you've ever rebelled against the Lord, I have. The first few times, it can be difficult and your conscience really gets at you. But the Bible talks about it searing our conscience. And the further we get away, the less we feel it. Come on, church, you know that's true. The further we run away from God, the less we feel the heat or the burden of displeasing him. And so Abraham leaves, and again, I mean, this is not like he's just walking from here to Arlington, right? He's walking from Canaan to Egypt. I mean, this, this is a trek. And every step was a disobedient one. And as they get closer, he realizes something. My wife is beautiful. That's a good thing to realize, gentlemen. Right? You should tell her that often. Come on, ladies. Right? You should tell her that often. You're beautiful. Listen, I don't know if the microphone's on. <laughs> um, but my wife is a teacher, and she had um, something at school today. It's Red Ribbon Week in public school. And I think it was, like, mismatch day. And I even told her today, honey, your outfit's crazy, but you're beautiful. Right? And her outfit's crazy. <laughs> Am I right, Jacob? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, tell her often. But the problem was, and just consider this as well. How old was Abraham when he went to Canaan? 75. How old was Sarah? 65. So at least 65 years old. I mean, and she's still a good-looking lady. So much so that Abraham is concerned that Pharaoh's going to want her so much that he's going to kill him. And so what does he do? He lies. Hey, honey, for the next couple of months, would you be my sister? <laughs> Could you imagine, guys? What would your wife do to you? <laughs> right? I, another thing, if you have young boys and they're starting to get into the dating age and they get a girlfriend and then they break up with a girlfriend, tell them, don't say, I think of you as my sister. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not smart. But he tells his wife. Now, there was a little bit of truth to it because somewhere back in the day, there's... Uh, they probably were at least a quarter brother and sister. They could have been even half brother and sister, depending on how the genealogies worked out. So there was a little bit of truth to this. Um, but most certainly, 100%, she was Abram's wife. And at the end of the day, that should have been all that mattered. He goes to her and says, hey, 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 Sarah, would you please tell people that you are my sister? And maybe, fearing for her husband, she agrees to it. But the problem is, and you know this, one lie is never enough. And they get there. Pharaoh sees her, and sure enough, brings her in. 
part, makes her literally a part of her harem. Now, for whatever reason, um, she, they don't get married right away. There's a waiting period, and um, it's part of Egyptian customs and all that jazz, but um, they don't get married right away. And so um, there's a period of time. From, we get the impression that we're talking weeks, maybe a couple months. And so for a couple of months, they're having to lie to just about everybody, but they're not just having to lie. All of the people, Lot, the servants, other family members that are there, they're all having to lie to make sure that Abram doesn't get in trouble. Just consider, Abram lied, and then he became the lie. Woo. Man. Just consider. I might be talking about this in a couple of weeks. Consider David. David saw Bathsheba. He wanted Bathsheba. Bathsheba comes, whether of her own volition or forced. They are intimate, and she conceives. David then is stuck. What was supposed to be an innocent night of passion blows up in his face. Just so you know, sin always comes out. And so he begins to scheme like Abram. He calls the general home, Uriah. The general comes in and he tries to can make it a way so that Uriah will have relations with his wife. But Uriah has so much integrity, he doesn't even sleep inside the house. He sleeps outside <laughs> because he says, I am a general and my men are fighting a war. I am not going to do that while my men are fighting. And so there's plan number one that goes away. You know what plan number two is? Put Uriah on the front lines. Let the enemy take care of the problem. And they do. Uriah dies. So Right now, he's guilty of at least adultery, maybe rape. He's guilty of lying, and he's guilty of murder. He didn't throw the uh, spear or swing the, uh, the sword, but he set it up so that Uriah would die. And he thinks he gets away with it for nine months, or however long Bathsheba was pregnant. Can you imagine? Now we have the Bible tells us Psalm 55 that he felt the weight always. It was like a burden that was on his shoulders. I don't know how Christians, at least profession Christians, can live with sin. Because you get the picture from David that it was a crushing burden. It affected his joy. Do you remember Psalm 55? Return unto me the joy of my salvation. It, it hurt his peace. It was a burden. He was buried by guilt and shame and all of these different things that people go through when they sin. And for nine months, he hid it and lied about it. What happened? He became the lie. I had to read a little bit between the lines. But I just know for those months, watching his wife in another man's house, having to lie every time he started up a new conversation with somebody, Hey, how are you related to her? Is the Pharaoh going to marry her? Oh, yeah, she's my son. 
for months, this weight was on his shoulders. And how did it start? By taking a step away from God. Could you imagine, guys, coming to a point where you're willing to lie about your wife and call her your sister? I mean, how far away does that seem? Think about it. How far away do you have to be from God to start saying, no, that's just my sister? I imagine Abraham never thought he'd be there. But it was one step at a time. I wonder how many of us think, well, it's just a little bit away. I'm, I'm not that far. And then finally, Abram believed the lie. Verse 12 tells us that Abram was worried about something that could never happen. Think about it. God promised a nation and a seed to come from Abram. How could that happen if he were going to die by the hand of Pharaoh? What happened? He believed his own lie. Have you ever met people that do this? How many of us are guilty of believing the things that we lied to ourselves about? Well, I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah, you are. Aren't you glad you came to church? You are. How many of us would say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. You're exactly the same as that person. The, the moment we begin to judge ourselves by each other is the moment we set ourselves up for failure because they aren't the standard. You aren't my standard. Jesus is my standard. And he's yours too. And we all fall so very short. Abraham believed the lie. How many of us are guilty of just believing what we lie to ourselves about. All we really have to do is just believe what God has said. Point number three. It's always a disastrous path. Man, how does this blow up? It appears at some point after Abram and Sarah come to Egypt, someone called his bluff. And his plan backfired. At some point, they find out. Rather than giving him some wiggle room, his little ploy created a hopeless trap. When the Pharaoh's officials sang her praises to the Pharaoh, he quickly claimed her for his harem. Fortunately, ancient marriage rituals included a waiting period. But did you notice everything that he got from it? He gets sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, servants. He gets men servants and maidservants. It is likely that one of those maidservants, think about it, was an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Do you want to know where the troubles in Israel start? They don't start when he starts getting it in his head, or Sarah starts getting it in her head that she can't have a baby. They start here. How did they start? Because he took a couple steps away from God. And consider, this was 3,000 years ago. And people are still suffering under those consequences. You don't think your sins hurt other people? Don't come to me with, it's my life, I can do what I want. No, it's not. It's God's life, do what he wants. They get all of these things. 
Although no fault of her own, she will be forced to play a big part, a difficult role in the story of Abraham and Sarah. The price of living in Egypt is always higher than we realize. A higher price that we would knowingly never want to pay. So while Sarah faced no immediate risk of being violated, imagine how she must have been feeling about her husband. Goodness. And this plan. Disastrous. Just consider. It was a disastrous plan because of its potential. What possibly could be gained by it? The only thing he could come up with was his own life. And I don't know about you, but the Bible tells me time and time again, it's better to give up your life and do what's right than to do what you want and just hope for the best. But the best thing it was, he was going to get to live, but then he wouldn't get to live with his wife. Could you imagine being okay with this? And then could you imagine he was going to have to live the rest of his days where? In Egypt. <laughs> this plan was not very well thought out. It was a terrible plan because of its punishment. Abram's sin brought God's hand of judgment right into that situation. We're going to get to that here in a moment. Consider some of the things that happened. Um, verse 17, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. But consider, it also was terrible because it brought shame to God. Christian. Listen, we, parents, when you have your kids go over to people's houses, you always give them that pep talk. Remember who you are. You are my son. This is obviously for my kids. Go and be respectful. You bear the Hayward name. Don't embarrass the name. Christian, listen to your preacher. You bear the name of Jesus. And wherever you go, people are going to judge your God by you. And that should be something that we think about every day. When I go to Walmart and people are rude or short, I do my best to remind myself, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor. You know what I used to have? This is going to be hilarious to some of you. I used to have on the back of my little blue car. You remember that blue car, some of you that were here when I became pastor? It said on the back right-hand corner in, in Oklahoma, you had to have one of those to be able to park and preach your parking at hospitals. It said pastor, right on the back of my car. Do you know how I drove in that car? <laughs> because it was always there. That guy's a pastor. I didn't get one ticket in that car. The guy's a pastor. Just consider, everywhere you go, you bear the name of Jesus. Don't be so much worried about getting a speeding ticket. Be worried about pleasing your heavenly father. Lastly, and it's always a disappointing path. The world and everything it offers will never satisfy your soul. No matter what it gives to you. Hear me, please. It'll never satisfy you. Once you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, it's like being able to eat a prime rib and being offered a cheeseburger from McDonald's. 
they don't measure up. God is so good, and when we finally get what the world promises, we find it to be lacking. Just consider of all that he went through, and consider where it finally ended up. He leaves there with extra goods, sure, but you know his marriage suffered, his future suffered, and his servants probably looked at him with a side eye for the rest of their life, all because he decided to handle things his own way. I want to give you four things to wrap up. These are applications. Number one, we must realize that everyone faces famines. Hear me. Man, you're going to face famines. That means you're going to face famines financially. Everybody in here does. No matter how much money you're making today, there's going to be times when you face financial famine. There's going to be times when you face spiritual famines. Where it doesn't matter if you're faithful or not, at least it seems this way. It seems like if it doesn't matter if you're faithful or not, you're just not getting fed. You're going to, you're going to go through those. You're going to have famines in your family where things just, you're button heads. You're at each other's throats. You're going to face famines in a number of different ways. But what's important is that you know God's word enough to know that I'm supposed to do this no matter what. I'm supposed to be faithful in God's word. I'm supposed to be a faithful witness wherever I go. I'm supposed to be faithfully giving um, uh, of 10% of my income, whatever the case may be, no matter what the famine has, I'm going to be faithful. Determine today when there's plenty that if tomorrow it's all gone, I'm going to be faithful. My um, uncle and aunt, I've told you about them. He is an uncle that got um, ordained a month and a half ago. After their son passed away in a car accident, they didn't miss anything. They were still at every church service. They were so faithful to serve other people. And I actually asked him while we were there because they wanted us to give a testimony about why we were on the board. And I said proudly that this is the reason why. My aunt and uncle began to cry thinking about Sean. And I, and I just said, I was amazed of your faithfulness after such a spiritual famine. Friend, you don't need faith when everything's going great. You need your faith when everything's not. Your faith is worthless if you run every time things get hard. Can I repeat that? Your faith is worthless if you run every time things get hard. Abram's faith was worthless at least right here. Number two, we must realize that every escape contains a lie. If we think we can get out of a situation, realize you're lying to yourself. You're going to face judgment someday. <laughs> you are. Nobody has ever gotten by. God keeps a record, and you will repay. God's books always balance. Number three, we must realize that everyone struggles with a weakness, so be kind. Woo, that's good, church. Somebody here tonight is struggling. Maybe a number of people here tonight are struggling. Be kind. You don't know what their day has been like. Be kind. 
Number four, we must realize that every compromise jeopardizes someone we love. Man, I hope you feel the weight of this. Abraham lied, but the one who really paid for it, at least initially, was his wife, Sarah. Can you imagine if it didn't turn out the way it did? If his lie maybe resulted in them both dying? I don't know about you, but lying to Pharaoh seems pretty dangerous to me. Could you imagine if they both lived, but she got married to Pharaoh? My goodness. Yes. So the big thing was he didn't want to die. So if they find out he was married to her, and if he really, really wanted her, Pharaoh would have had to have the power to kill Abraham to have Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just imagine, if things worked out the way he had planned, Sarah gets married to Pharaoh, and she's the one that pays. I imagine that Pharaoh probably didn't care a lick besides the fact that she was beautiful. Friend, the way you handle your the truth of life, the, the truth of God's word, just truth. If you lie about those things, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts those around you. His sin brought consequences to the whole lot of people that came with him. Consequences. Feel the weight of that today. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed.